Awesome. Thanks, Glennis. Yeah, so we're going to look at these verses um, this morning, still working through Matthew's gospel, so share a bit of a message now. And um, we're actually starting a bit of a new section because it's a new, new chapter, chapter 18. Not, the chapters don't always line up into new sections, but they kind of do here. And um, if you're reading through this in, in your Bible, particularly if you have a, a red letter Bible where Jesus' words are in red, you'll notice there's a lot of red in chapter 18. And, and Matthew's gospel kind of works like that. There's kind of narrative sections and then teaching section, then narrative section, then a teaching section to finish. And this is the start of a new teaching section. And the sort of theme and the way that Matthew's collated Jesus' teaching in this section is all about um, community. Uh, it's about the, the church, the, the disciples, the community of the disciples, um, which is like an embryonic state of what will be the church. Uh, they're the founders of the church. And, and Jesus is teaching and then Matthew's speaking um, to communities of Jesus followers into the future. So as we go through this chapter, the sort of the context is like, what is Jesus teaching us about how to live together in community as, as his body and his church? Um, and when I was teaching at, at school, um, that's kind of what was a, a practice in community in some ways, because you have a lot of little kids all together in one room for a whole day, and you need to work out how to get along um, and how to, to do life together and how to learn together. And one thing I learned pretty quickly that you, that you don't do is, um, well, what you do do is to, to, to get around the school with, with kids, as you're probably aware. Um, if you have like 20 kids and you need to get from one place to another place, you need to line up because if you just walk, it's chaos. So you get into two lines and you want, you want some order and, and want things to be in place so that we can walk around the school and not get lost. So we'll line up. But what you don't do is just tell a bunch of kids to go line up. Because if you do that, they race and they fight to be at the front. And it causes huge conflicts and controversy, even if you're only going to be walking 200 metres. To, to be in that front position of line leader is so valuable, and they will fight for it. So what happens, what I did, and I think what a lot of teachers do, is you have a position in the class of line leader. And each week, maybe that changes, but you designate these people are the line leaders. So when you go and line up, they just are at the front. Even if they're not there first, they can just walk up and they get that prestige position of being the front. And no one can debate them. And if anyone does, you just look and say, look, the teacher designated, it's on the wall, they're the line leaders. And it just it resolves the problems. And sadly, like we kind of laugh, we know that happens with kids, but, but sadly, in some ways it can happen with adults, and it's happening right now with the founders of the church. <laughs> the disciples are fighting in a similar way. Um, they've been having a discussion. Um, in Mark's version of this, it actually says that they were arguing amongst themselves, and we see that they come in this, in Matthew, they come to Jesus with their argument. In Mark, Jesus asks them what they're talking about, and they're kind of embarrassed. Um, but in this account, it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They've been fighting about this. They've been trying to figure it out among themselves, and they just need Jesus to solve this problem. Jesus, just tell us which one of us is the greatest. Just designate it so then we know. Which is a, this is a strange thing, but it's interesting with the context of, of where we've been in Matthew Recently, because the last few weeks we've been talking from chapter 17, 
when Jesus goes up the mountain, but only three of the disciples go with him. And they have an amazing experience with Jesus. They see him in his power, and they see God speak, and it's, it's awesome. And the other disciples are down the bottom of the mountain, and they have a huge failure. They can't help this man who has a son in desperate need, and they fail, and Jesus says they have little faith. And then there's what we talked about last week. Jesus is with Peter, and Jesus tells Peter to do this weird thing where God provides for his tax payment. But it's not clear whether that happens to the other disciples or just to Peter. So you see, there's these sort of different things happening with different disciples that you could see is starting to affect the way they see each other and the way they see themselves. Perhaps the ones that went up the mountain feel pretty good about themselves. They didn't fail. The ones down the mountain perhaps feel uh, not concerned or maybe jealous. And it's causing this infighting. And it's, it's pretty sad considering that They've seen Jesus do amazing things. They've been picked by Jesus to, to be a part of his kingdom mission, yet their concern is who's the better one? Who, who's on top? Who's going to be at the front of the line, Jesus, when you come in to your kingdom? And it's a sad thing, but it's also just a very human reality um, that pride and competition can just seep in so easily and this really obvious, like, jockeying for position, like, we kind of know that's not appropriate, right? Like, like in our culture, we think humility is, is, is a value, right? To, to just fight to be first, like, maybe kids do that. If you do that, that's not socially acceptable, right? Um, but in that culture, it was, right? To, to be on top, to be the greatest in a really hierarchical culture, to have the honor and the prestige position was good, it, it, was, it was right. To, to, to want that was good. And the disciples are really just acting out of their cultural values. We might sometimes think, though, that, that we just have an equal society. We just value people just for who they are as humans. And, and, and we do have that more in our society. But at the same time, we can so easily find our significance in a certain position or in comparison or competition, even for us. Significance is often found in being higher up than others in different ways. Um, we are more subtle about it. Uh, we, we know humility is, is, is a value, um, but we know not to brag, we know not to be arrogant, but still, often, the way that we think about our lives, a good trajectory of life is up, is moving up, at advancing, succeeding, accumulating, getting up higher levels at, at work, getting more well-known, getting greater reputation. That's what we see as significant. And those who have done that, who have achieved success, who are well-known, who have um, things that, that, that prove that they are of worth and value, they are the really significant ones. Um, and we look up to them. And it, there can be an element of comparison and competition in that. And even if we sort of say, nah, we don't, we don't do that, in other ways, sometimes we can still talk like about being enlightened or maturing, or all of these are sort of language of moving up and often above others. It's desirable still to move up the ladder, to do it humbly, to not gloat, but still to achieve, to do well, to succeed. And... Um, even in the Christian world, we can, we can think like that, that. That significance is found in moving up in the Christian world to greater positions, to greater influence, to greater giftings, to greater reputation. And we look to churches that are big and influential as successful and significant. That's just sort of often what we do. 
But the disciples are just acting out of their cultural values. Like, like they live in a honor-shame culture, and to be honored and to be first is important and valuable. And they're just acting out that way. And we can easily just act out the values of our culture of finding significance and, and status in achievement, in success, in career, in family, in possessions, um, not in Jesus' kingdom. Because Jesus' kingdom operates really, really differently. It's different to the world. So he challenges the disciples in where they are at. And he challenges us where we are at. And you might even think today as, as we go through, maybe there are things that you have or look to in yourself that where you find significance, something that maybe you have or have done or are that is better than others. And there's a sense of significance and status and, and pride in that. And not saying those things are not necessarily good, but they sometimes can become identities and places we find value. Yet Jesus shakes things up massively with his disciples. They come to him wanting him to solve this problem. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be at the front of the line? Jesus, just, just tell us, just solve it. Then we don't have to fight anymore. It's been decided. It says this. He called a little child to him, and he placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you. So this is, he's, again, he's being emphatic. This is a strong statement. I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's effectively saying, don't worry about being the greatest. Just worry about getting in. Right? The way that you're tracking is wrong. He's challenging them. And he takes a child. Now, this is, we need to understand the cultural context because they had a really different understanding and value of children as, than we do. If you, if you place a child... Um, in the midst. If, if, if I brought a child up here, everyone's, oh, it's a child. They're so great. They're so, they're so wonderful. That's not what the experience would have been for the disciples here. Um, people were not as attached to children as we are. People actually had much lower social status. Reading about this, it's really sad, but one of the reasons for that is that the, the child mortality rate was just so high. So many children would die, almost like one third. So people would just get less attached to children because there's just such a high chance that they would die that they wouldn't actually get attached to them until they were a bit older. So like, there's so little value actually on a child. Um, one quote from a Bible commentator, France, says it this way, A child was a person of no importance in Jewish society, subject to the authority of his elders, not taken seriously except as a responsibility, one to be looked after, not one to be looked up to. To turn and become like little children is therefore a radical reorientation from the mentality of the rat race to an acceptance of insignificance. Jesus is effectively taking in the room who is the least significant person. In that context was this child, right? And we see that even later on in how the disciples treat children. They just dismiss them. They're not interested in them. They're, they're a nuisance. Yet Jesus takes them and places them at the center and says, actually, this is what you need to be like. Actually, you need to stop pursuing status and significance in the kingdom. You need to just get in, and the way to get in is to become of no significance, is to recognize your absolute dependence to go down, not go up. Jesus says to move down 
and accept a place of insignificance in order to find significance in his kingdom. He totally flips things. In that culture of advancing to receive honor, or even in our culture, achieving and succeeding to receive significance, Jesus says to go the opposite direction, to, to become humble, to move down, to accept dependence and weakness and vulnerability and insignificance, and receive the kingdom as an absolute gift, to, to trust a father who's good and offers the kingdom as a total gift. It's a really total rejection of horizontal thinking. Like The disciples are thinking horizontally. Who's on the higher rung than the other? And we can do that as well and feel better about ourselves if we're higher than others or worse if others are higher than us. And it's horizontal, whereas Jesus is saying to think vertical, to recognize our need for God, but then also recognize that God loves us and values us in our weakness and our dependence. And this is how things started for the disciples, right? The disciples of Jesus were nobodies. Like, they were rejects. They were people who didn't get to follow another rabbi. Matthew was a tax collector. He had an insignificant job in Jewish society, yet Jesus picked him. Jesus picked Peter and, and fishermen and, and people that no one would normally pick for this huge movement so they're nobodies, that they're only there because of his grace, yet pride, again, easily seeps in, and they're no longer just thankful for being with Jesus or thankful for being a part of what he's doing. They are starting to compete and to compare. But Jesus is, is bringing about a different community. Um, Michael Wilkins on this says, Instead of aggressively pursuing our own status and life goals by our own efforts, we're to receive the kingdom of heaven as a gift. As we enter into that life, we find our personal worth as disciples of Jesus. Community is created because of our essential equality. We are part of the same family, equal brothers and sisters with the same father. Jesus is creating a community, and the basis of the community is this humble trust and dependence. It's not a community of comparison or of competition or of human pride or of human success and achievement. Paul talks about having to give all that up and place no confidence in the flesh, but just trust in God and be dependent. Actually, again, Jesus says to move down, to be humble, to become a child. What does this mean then for us, like in, in our culture? Um, I think one, one way to think of it is that, again, we can easily bring the way that we might think in our culture, in the world. We can easily bring our achievements. We can easily think and feel good about ourselves if we're advanced or maybe bad about ourselves if we haven't. But what we need to do is recognize that all of that means nothing in the kingdom. And one author actually said, often success in the world is inversely proportional to success in the kingdom. Uh, it's that to be higher up and to have achieved more greatness in the eyes of the world may probably likely mean less in the kingdom, right? It, Jesus totally flips things. Actually, those things don't matter. Uh, what matters is humble trust and dependence on God's grace. It actually clears the playing field. Actually, when we come in, those identities and those badges or those successes or those failures in Jesus' eyes and in the kingdom's eyes and in the church are to not have any value. But it's so easy, again, to have the culture sleep in. It's so easy to find our value and significance in those things. Um, 
one experience I had with that um, was just my call to, to ministry and needing to become a pastor. And obviously I was a teacher and, and so loved teaching, um, but found a huge amount of identity in being a teacher and, and value and significance in my job as a, as a teacher. And, and part of uh, not wanting to come into to pastoral ministry is that I didn't feel that in a similar way. I didn't feel that there was, a, like I got a sense of significance and, and value in the same way that I did as a teacher. And I was in this struggle because I, I knew that God wanted me to give up this identity as a teacher, but I was struggling to think, well, how do I find that in, in my work as a pastor? Because I need a sense of identity and significance from my work. Work was so important for me in terms of feeling significant. But then I felt God speaking to me and, and saying that he wasn't asking me to stop having identity as a teacher and to find identity as a pastor. He was asking me to repent of finding my identity as a teacher and instead find my identity as his child, as a child of God. To actually stop thinking in that way of, 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 of seeking identity in career or jobs, even though they're good things, they're not, they're not bad things, and, and obviously they impact who, who we are. But in terms of our significance in the kingdom, it's not to be found in those things, but it's to be found in our relationship of trust and dependence on God. So there may be things that, that we carry that we need to let go of. Um, we need to recognize that actually, if we think we're really great because we've done well, that doesn't matter in the kingdom. If we think we're really bad because we've done poorly, that doesn't matter in the kingdom. What matters is a fresh start as a child accepting insignificance but finding significance in Jesus. And I think this is then a, a, a significant lens um, then of how we view ourselves when we come into the church. Because the church is supposed to be this community that totally redefines um, what community looks like because of this new lens. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 3, so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. This is the lens to view ourselves not primarily in our jobs or our wealth or our successes, but as children of God, um, each of us. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When we come to the church community, we're not to see each other as whatever status or or significance or success we might have had. We're to see each other as children, equal children, with the same Father who were one in Jesus. This breaks down dividing walls in, in that culture particularly, right? Slave and free, Jew and Gentile people who are on different levels are to be together at the same table in equality. Um, this is true uh, even in our culture and in our world. Obviously, we had the census come out this week and um, we sort of break people up into generations in our, in our culture. And we even know in our church we have different generations. And, and sometimes that can even be a point of tension or we can find identity in our generation or be loyal to that. But when we come to the church, we're supposed to view ourselves through this other lens that actually says, actually, we're all children. Actually, we're all equal. Actually, we all have the same father. When we see someone else, we're not to see someone of a different generation. We're to see someone who is a child of God, someone who has the spirit of God. It actually breaks down dividing walls. Jesus' call to enter the kingdom is to accept this place of being 
a child, to lay down other status symbols or other identities and start fresh. He actually says to be born again, a fresh start of trust in him. So that's sort of how maybe we often find significance in, in achievements or in, in, in jobs or in wealth. But another way we might is also with our connections. Because um, again, it's sort of often seen that if you are with other people who are significant, it makes you more significant. Right? If you've ever met someone who is famous and then you tell someone else about it, it's almost your own claim to fame. Or if you are friends with someone who is well-regarded or well-known, it makes you more important. To be with important people makes us feel more important. And often maybe to be with people who don't seem very important, they make us feel less important. Um, and obviously this just totally kills community. Uh, because it just makes people who are significant more significant because everyone wants to be with them and it just pe- makes people who are insignificant less significant because no one wants to be with them. And it just, it just divides and it creates this hierarchical um, division. Yet we see Jesus again totally tip that on its head because after inviting his disciples to humble themselves and become a child... Having this child who, again, is a picture of insignificance in his midst, he then says, and whoever welcomes one such child welcomes me. Again, the disciples didn't really care for children. They, they seemed to see children um, as, as something in the way or, or a difficulty. But Jesus cared deeply for children. Jesus cares for the humble. Jesus cares for the vulnerable. He cares for the outsider, for the weak. And he cares for all those who trust him and become little children. That's the identity to take on. As we, if we're coming into the kingdom, he says, you must become a little child. And then he deeply cares for those little children. So actually, Jesus, identi- and not just cares, but actually so identifies with these children that as we serve the least significant, we meet the one who is the most significant. Jesus totally flips this posture of what we might say is networking or connecting with people who are significant, which again, we often think the need is to move up. Network, move up, get better contacts, get better influence. Jesus says, if you want to be with me, the the king, be with the children. Be with the least significant. Be with the humble. And this can, I think, apply literally to being with and caring for, for children or to, to with the weak, which is such an interesting perspective of then as, as we do that, because we, we do that in many ways as a church. Um, we have children in our church, and we care for children. We have multiple children's programs of brigades and, and playtime and youth and, and Rivers Kids and um, all different ways that we care for children. And it's so interesting to think, like those are not just like looking after children. Volunteers who do that are welcoming Jesus, as we welcome these children, as we care for them, as we support them, Jesus says, you're welcoming me, because he's identified with them. We definitely respect people. There's many people who come to the church on Thursdays and and get food, and we we respect them, but in many ways, they're they're struggling and quite humble to come and get receive help and food is a, is a humbling thing. These people are humble and vulnerable and in need, and those who are serving them and caring for them and welcoming them, Jesus says, you're welcoming 
me. It totally flips, right? To, to, to be with and help those in need. We're welcoming Jesus. As we care for each other in the church and particularly look out for those among us who are vulnerable and in need, Jesus is identified with them. And it's a way of welcoming and serving Jesus, not just as we worship, but as we actually care for each other. Even parenting can be a very humble thing, or grandparenting and caring for kids can be a humble thing that can be challenging and difficult. But Jesus identifies with children. So as we're caring for children, Jesus says, you're welcoming me. As we think about other churches, um, believers around the world struggling, Again, Jesus, I think, can reference children and the vulnerable, particularly those who believe in him. That as we care for them, we're caring and welcoming him. So he turns this totally upside down, right? The way to him and to welcome and be close to him is actually again to go down, to care for those who may be on the bottom, who seem insignificant, but Jesus cares and identifies with them. And this totally, again, just demonstrates that the kingdom community that he's creating is just totally countercultural. It's, it's not, it doesn't fit our categories, which is why he says that you need to become a child. It's, it's a total fresh start. But the reality is that often the church does not look like this at all. Right? Often the church looks very much like the culture. Often the church looks very much like the disciples fighting for positions and pushing others down. Uh, often the church looks very human and flawed. And that can be a reason to reject it altogether. But as we see here, that's not Jesus' vision for the church, right? Like Jesus didn't actually write a book the disciples wrote about his life, but that Jesus didn't leave um, writings. That wasn't his legacy. What he left was a community. That's what he built among these disciples who are flawed and failed and obviously human and proud and broken, yet Jesus' plan was to use them. And Jesus' plan still is to use the church, this community of Jesus' followers who are broken and who are flawed. That's not a reason to reject it, but actually to fight for it, actually to take Jesus' vision and enter it. Because following him is not a solo practice. As we see, he's teaching about community. We're actually called to belong to this family, to become a child with brothers and sisters and a common father as we grow in love for each other which will need uh, forgiveness, will need humility, but is Jesus' plan of how the kingdom comes in the world, actually comes through the church. And as we, we yeah, uh, seek to, to follow him, um, in many ways, uh, I think today may be an opportunity for us to do what he says the disciples need to do. They need to turn around. They need to, they need to that change of mind, uh, which is just what the word repent means, to, to, to stop thinking that way where maybe we have easily seen pride creep in to our own lives, whether it's in our achievements and success in, in the eyes of the world or maybe even in our achievements and success in, uh, in our church or in ministry or in serving God or maybe in comparison to other churches, just that whole mindset of comparison and competition and seeking to move up, Jesus says, is the wrong way. The right way is down, is to lower is to give up looking sideways and look up. So as we finish today, I just invite you to, to just consider what that could look like for you. In what ways are you looking sideways to find significance? Or in what ways are you looking sideways and maybe feeling insignificant? 
and then instead to look up. Because when we all look up, that's how the kingdom operates. The kingdom doesn't operate horizontally. It operates vertically. When we look up, we are all equally vulnerable and weak and poor before God. It doesn't matter how much money is in the bank. When you look up compared to God, we are poor. <laughs> Jesus says to be poor in spirit. But then at the same time, if we look up, recognize our poverty before God, but put our faith in Jesus, what we see coming back is a God who says, you are my son, you are my daughter, with whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And that is to be the place where we get significance. And again, it's a, it's a struggle because it's so easy to be pulled to the horizontal, but we're to be, Jesus' invitation is to a totally new way of thinking, of humility, but then also great privilege and position of being a son, being a daughter of his father in his kingdom, a part of his work, and actually all equal in that together. So as, uh, let, let, let's respond in prayer and then um, in worship, um, and then just consider, yeah, what, what that might look like for you today. So Father, we thank you that, yeah, your invitation is to become a child Thank you, Jesus, that you do challenge our thinking and our mindsets. And, um, yeah, we just come and, and ask for forgiveness for where we so easily fall into thinking horizontally, um, easily fall into comparison and competition and pride and say we, we need your forgiveness, we need your mercy, we need your spirit. And we thank you that you give new life, you give fresh starts, and you call us to a place of, of humility, but also great, great privilege and love and security. And just ask, Lord, that you would yeah, renew our minds, um, yeah, heal us in our hearts. And we pray, God, that you give us grace to, as a church community, reflect the kingdom of God and the values of the kingdom of God. And we say we need your spirit and your power to do that. We just pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim.